Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard, EA Maynard. You can find me in lots of places under those two names. So with that being said, thank you for being here. I appreciate, as always, you joining me as I talk with these authors. Today, you're going to hear me, or at least this episode, you're going to hear me talk with Michael H. Rubin. Mike was fun to talk with, interesting. Personally, I think I'm going to pick up his historical fiction, the, I think it's called Cotton Chronicles. So if I get mixed up, forgive me, but it sounds like the historical fiction sounds interesting to me. Maybe I'll move on to some of his other books, but right now that's where I'm going to go to. I hope you enjoy the conversation. We discuss his fictional books. We discuss all three that he's written and one that's with an editor or publisher now and a third another so he has two books coming that's already set up that he's working on as well so michael or mike is going to have multiple books for you to read beyond the two books or three books that he has out i think you're going to enjoy if you enjoy thrillers if you enjoy those type of books they sound like interesting books and they're going to catch your attention And from how he's made it sound, it sounds like something that's going to be a page turner that's going to keep you going if you get into those type of books. So I'm going to cut this short so that you can get right to the interview so you can listen to him and I talk about his books. And as always, I'll remind you, as I like to do, go to authorblurb.com where you find the author's profiles, the audio, you can find links to the video. All this stuff is there on authorblurb.com for you to find, discover, and enjoy different authors of different genres. You can search their profiles by the genres and even search by their names. So with that being said, thank you again. Enjoy, and I'll talk with you soon. So I'm here with Michael H. Rubin. So I'm going to speak with Mike about his three fiction books. They're mystery thrillers, if I'm remembering correctly. and he has a slew of nonfiction books, but today we're going to focus on your fiction books. Mike, I appreciate you being here. I'm looking forward to learning more about your books. Can you tell everyone and me, especially about yourself, about your books? And then I can just start asking you the questions to get to know more so I can see if me and the readers are interested in getting your books now or whenever we hear this. Super. Well, thank you very much, Eric. I appreciate uh, being here. So my wife and I write books together. Uh, All right. The latest book is called A White Hot Plan, and it comes out under Mike and Ann Rubin. It's unusual spelling A-Y-A-N, but it's Mike and Ann Rubin. Uh, our first two books are The Cotton Crest Curse and Cashed Out, and they were written under Michael H. Rubin because our agent in New York said that The public does not understand or buy new author books that are written by committee, quote, committee, end quote, unless one of the committee members is James Patterson. So because (laughs) the first two books were legal thrillers and I'm a lawyer, my wife's a television producer and script writer, we put them out under Michael H. Rubin. But the last one now that we've had some success is under Mike and Ann Rubin. And they're all legal thrillers, but they're not. They're not connected. We don't have a single character. Each is a standalone. We've been very gratified with the reviews they've been getting. They've been compared to Michael Conley and John Grisham 
uh, and Scott Tarot and others. Uh, the first two books have won all kinds of awards. Uh, Cotton Crest Curse has been translated for sale in Europe. It's been published by the, the people who wrote uh, and published A Confederacy of Dunces, a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Uh, Cashed Outs won some awards and A White Hot Plan just came out uh, last week in March. Uh, and we're very pleased already with the re uh, reviews it's been getting. All right. So with that, you, you said all three of your fiction books are standalone books. They're not the same characters. Are they the same world or the same connected anyway? Or are they just all completely separate in every way? That's a great question. Uh, they all take place in Louisiana. And Louisiana is as much a character in the books as the characters. The okay. first book, The Cotton Crest Curse, is a historical thriller. Cashed Out is a contemporary legal thriller, and The White Hot Plan is a contemporary legal thriller. So I'll, I'll give you kind of the elevator speeches of all three. So on A White Hot Plan, here's the, here's the story of A White Hot Plan. A disgraced New Orleans detective relegated to writing speeding tickets in a small rural Louisiana parish stumbles across a plot by white nationalists to bomb the French Quarter. So that's The White Hot Plan. The book before that, Cashed Out, is a first-person narrative set in Louisiana. Here's the first-person voice of that book. Failed lawyer? <laughs> Damn right, I'm a failed lawyer. I got a failed marriage. I got two maxed-out credit cards. I got three creditors on my shoulders who can't let up. I got no clients, and I got no money. Well, no clients except for G.G. Guidry, and he's dead. And no money except for the $4 million. $375,223.17 in cash that he left me for safekeeping. So that's book number two. And book number one, which is The Cotton Crest Curse, is set in, it's a historical thriller runs from 1860 to 1960. It's historically accurate, although the murders and the plantation are fictional. Here's the story about that. The locals think that the Cotton Crest Plantation is cursed because of the mysterious deaths that have been occurring there over the centuries. The local sheriff in 1893 stumbles across what appears to be a murder-suicide where an elderly Confederate colonel slit the throat of his beautiful young wife and shot himself. But the sheriff thinks that it may be a double homicide. Hmm. So those are the three books. Well, that sounds interesting in themselves. I mean. Right now, just from that little bit, I'm already kind of intrigued in knowing more about them and possibly wanting to read them myself. And I'm not a huge thriller person, which is weird because I've written three of them. But, but tell me more about, let's go with um, the historical one real quickly. What, what is the whole reason you wrote that? I mean, where, where did the story come from? The story of that actually uh, evolved from my great-grandfather, whom I knew. Uh, in the 1880s and 1890s, the, uh, the Tsar's army in Russia would conscript Jewish boys at the age of 12 and put them in the Russian army for 25 years and forcibly convert them. And so the parents of 12-year-old boys would send their sons alone to work their way across Eastern Europe and Western Europe to the United States for freedom. 
and my great-grandfather was sent away by his parents at the age of 12 to meet a brother who was eight years older, whom he had never met and had no memory of. And he worked his way across Eastern Europe and Western Europe and ended up actually in Louisiana. And although his story is not the story of the book, that's the germ of the story. All right. And then the next one was... Um... The, the, the next one is Cashed Out. It's about the failed yes. lawyer. And my wife and I walk at 4.30 every morning. That's, what our, that's our special time together. And All we right. work on the characters and the plot. And, you know, some people plot out books in great detail. And some people simply write by the seat of their pants. We're kind of in the middle. When we All get right. ready to write, we know the key characters. We know the beginning. We sometimes know what we think is the first line. We know the middle the turning point, and we typically know what we think is the end, although that may not end up that way. Right. And then I do the first draft, and then she does the second draft, and then we sit down and talk, and the goal is we never disagree because we don't know the connections until we start writing. We don't disagree, you know, he wouldn't have said that or she wouldn't have said that or this wouldn't have happened. Our goal is if it slows down the reader, it's got to come out. We want our books to be fast read, and we've been very pleased with the reviews that have been getting that talk about them being exciting reads. Well, I have heard many times, if it's boring to you, it's boring to the reader, so it doesn't belong there. So that's always good to hear that you realize to get rid of the slower parts so that people don't just get tired of the story. And then your third book, The is, White, the White, the White Hot, Hot Plan, Plan is, a, is about the failed New Orleans detective. Each book has an, an underlying kind of philosophical theme. So the first book, uh, and I'll work backwards. Uh, right. A white hot plan is about the power of speech and mm-hmm. how speech, which seems harsh, can turn to violence. And the second book, which is uh, cashed out about the failed lawyer, is about the deceptions that we tell ourselves. And the right. first book is about the fact if you knew who your great great grandparents really were like, if you knew what they were like in life, would that alter your view of what you were like and what your parents were? So that's the underlying theme, although it's not obvious in either of the books. They're all page-turning thrillers. Okay, makes sense. So now I'm going to try to avoid certain things that I'm thinking of because the whole like free speech topic has been a very controversially, weirdly enough at this time with um, people debate debating on what free speech is really considered. But with that being said, this detective, is he going all after he's a disgraced detective? He's in a Paris. Uh, yeah, what, what happens is it doesn't the, the, the underlying thing about speech is a, is is not it's not a free speech book. So the book is about the fact that the detective stumbles across a series of unusual deaths in this small rural parish. Okay. And the coroner, the coroner in the parish is incompetent and misclassifies them as accidents. And the sheriff of the parish, whom the deputy works for, doesn't want any murders or suicides or homicides in his parish. He wants peace. So he's perfectly happy to have the things covered up. But the detective is suspicious and starts putting the pieces together. All right. Now, here's a quick question. This might sound silly, but. For people not in Louisiana, Parish is almost a suburb or something, if I'm thinking Par- correctly. No, in Louisiana is the only state in the country that does not have counties. 
So right. a parish is the equivalent of a county. Uh, okay. Louisiana was found, Louisiana had a very flip-flop history. It was Spanish, and then it was French, and then it was Spanish, and then it was French, and then it was the Louisiana Purchase. So uh, Louisiana has an unusual history of French and Spanish, and Irish and Italian, and slaves, and freemen of color, and it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a gumbo of cultures. Right. So Louisiana is a wonderful state to write about because it has all of this wonderful background of different types of personalities and people who, who live here. In fact, the two states in which people stay the most, don't disperse, don't leave, are Utah mm-hmm. and Louisiana. <laughs> well, I will say I've been to Louisiana quite a few times in my lifetime, and I've enjoyed each time I've been there. And not just New Orleans, but other portions of it. So, but with that being said, so this disgrace officer, how is he? I guess the big question is, is what kind of disgraced officer is he in the sense of, is he just, he made a lot of mistakes? Did he upset the wrong person? What kind of a disgraced officer is he? Is he just down on his luck? I mean, what kind of character is he, I guess? Well, without giving away too many plot points there. Okay. He was on the New Orleans police force. He was a detective who liked to tell the truth, and telling mm-hmm. the truth got him into trouble. And that's why he ended up being disgraced, because he was telling the truth, and people didn't want to hear the truth. And oh. so he was fired. So I, without going further, but uh, that will give you enough of it. So he, he, is, a, he is a man who has... Uh, believes in the truth and believes in justice and keeps finding that the doors keep closing on him as he tries to find the truth and enforce justice. All right. And then, so how's he, how's the story actually start off? So let's say I pick up the white hot plan. What am I getting into on page one or chapter one? What is, what is the beginning of it? Where am I starting off at? Let me read you an excerpt. And I'll, right. I'll let me pull it up, and I will read you the excerpt, which will tell you a little bit about uh, about the book. So just a second. All right. Uh, let me get up on my screen here so I can see what I'm doing. Just a minute. Not a problem. So with with the expert or the ex, I can't even say it now. Holy crime me! With the bit that you're going to read us, is this like from the beginning of the book, or where's this? This is this out is of? this is this is like. The fourth paragraph. Okay. A soft buzz of cicadas rose above the alligator weed and button willow that edged the bayou next to the swamp. As a quarter moon shimmered intermittently behind clouds blotching the night sky, the precept carefully worked his way around the faded yellow school bus that had been backed into the gravel driveway, primed for the next day's run. Although it was dark, he could discern the dark outlines of two derelict cars perched on cinder blocks, several rusty washing machines, and what appeared to be a disassembled refrigerator. A ramshackle cottage was just ahead, looming branches of oak and hickory pressed against its roof. He adjusted the strap on his shoulder, pulled on his gloves, and started to expertly pick the lock on the mildewed front door. It was not fastened and squeaked even as he touched it. An ancient air conditioner wheezed loudly from its purchase on a window. A television flickered, a canned laugh track puncturing every line of an old sitcom, but the snoring of an enormous woman on the bed cut through the din. The precept call 
pulled a small tank from his backpack, turned on the valve, and pressed the plastic face cup tightly over her nose and mouth. She struggled into wakefulness, but he put his other hand behind her tangle of gray hair and pulled her head forward, forcing her to inhale the fumes. Her eyes opened, filled with confusion, then puzzlement, then panic. She began to writhe and kick, but his grasp was firm. The gas flowed into his mouth, and she tried to scream, but it was too late. He stepped back into the shadow as the front door burst open. The entryway was now blocked by a massive figure, at least six foot five and as wide as the door frame. The big man flipped on the light switch and seeing the stranger in the corner, lunged for it. All right. Well, that sounds like it's an interesting start of a book. So you literally start off with a murder happening, what it sounds like. Right. All right. Now, where does the detective come into the story and... I mean, if he's, it sounds like you said he's basically a traffic cop at this point of the story where his character is being introduced. How does he get involved in it all? Good question. So the woman who's being killed is a bus driver. Okay. And uh, the the detective, who's now a disgraced uh, deputy sheriff, is called upon to go find the missing bus driver and finds her body. And that's where the coroner diagnoses her as having died of a heart attack and that's the beginning of the mystery okay so now what part of louisiana is this taking place in is it a real parish or a real area or is it just a area that you know that you kind of worked around to create well the the parish that he works in is a fictional parish called saint bonaventure parish but the story ends up in New Orleans in the French Quarter. And anybody right. who will have been in the French Quarter will recognize aspects of it. But it's, it, is a, it is a parish that fits your stereotype of Louisiana, but an accurate stereotype. <laughs> right. Well, so does all three of your books kind of revolve or deal with New Orleans in a way? Since I hate to say this, is, that is the most known city in Louisiana, obviously. In all, in all of the books, New Orleans features. Now, in the okay. first book, it's New Orleans in 1863. Right. What, what New Orleans was like then. In Cashed Out, it's the back end of New Orleans, the, the, the area that people don't normally see, contemporary. <laughs> and the current book, A White Hot Plan, is the heart of the French. Okay. Today. All right. Sounds good. Now, when these are take, you said that White Hot Plan is New Orleans French Quarter today, with everything as it is today. With the cash out plan, is that a prior point of, or no. not cash out plan? I'm sorry, cash Cash-out out is cashed out is contemporary as well, but it All takes right. place in a part of the French Quarter that that most people never see, the tourists okay. don't go to. And parts right. of New Orleans that, that are off the beaten track, but are very local. I understand. So it's all taking place in today's time frame and things like that. So people would recognize maybe not the people going off beat, but the French quarters, the feeling that Louisiana is giving you is a today's kind of sense. Because yeah. Louisiana, like you said, is kind of a character in itself because 
the people, the atmosphere, everything that goes on, the culture. It's an amazing, fun place at times. Anybody who's been to New Orleans knows that there are very few cities in the world, certainly in the United States, where you wake up and look out the window of your hotel and you know you're not anywhere else but in that city. <laughs> and New Orleans is one of those cities. Right. Uh, and, and New Orleans in the 1893 period, which was uh, the end of Reconstruction, uh, in the beginning of the Jim Crow era, was it was a completely different place than it is now. In right. fact, French Quarter, as you know it, was originally Spanish. The, the original French Quarter burned, and all the brick buildings and stuff are Spanish. And when you walk to the French Quarter on the streets, there's actually inlaid the Spanish names of the original streets. I did not know that. Well, that's interesting to learn. A little history to boot with all this. So what actually... What actually brings readers to your book? You said you had some good reviews and good feedback. What is it that you think is drawing people to read your books, especially like your newest one, The the White Hot Plan? What is it that's drawing them in? Well, we we write for different audiences, but a white hot plan is for people who like thrillers, Mm -hmm. who like mysteries, and who like police procedurals, and also like Southern Gothic. So it covers all all those bases. And what we find is you can find excerpts on our website. We have a website called M. Rubin Books, M-R-U-B-I-N Books, all one word, dot com. And on that website, we have excerpts from the books. We have all the reviews, all the awards, uh, and information about my wife uh, and me and how we write. Uh, so anybody wants to find out more about the books, but we find people go to the website and read an excerpt and say, yeah, sounds interesting. So uh, uh, a white hot plan is a paperback. Cashed out is, is a paperback book as well. Uh, and uh, the Cotton Crest Curse is, is in hardcover. It's an audible book. Uh, and uh, it's uh, there's a German translation if you want to read it in German. Sounds good. Well. I'll be honest with you, I my skill with other languages are horrific. I think I failed Spanish. Chinese, I've been trying to learn a little bit over the years, and I've what I can say is something I definitely won't repeat here because it's not appropriate in common areas. And then German, I think I know how to say I love you in German, and that's about the gist of it. So I don't see me picking up German, but German is a huge market, especially with all the readers. And from what I understand, a lot of thriller fans are in the German market as well. Yes, the, our our book in Germany is published by Schurkamp Verlag, which is a big publisher. And mm-hmm. uh, we were very fortunate to be in Berlin and meet with the publisher and the translator and the acquisitions editor, and they were very nice. Uh, and uh, in fact, there is even a uh, a promo about the book in German that you can find on the web. There's a link on our website. Oh, nice. That'd be interesting. Like I said, probably wouldn't understand it, but it's always interesting to catch those kind of little tidbits. So what was, does the story vary any bit between the English version and the German version? Well, since I don't read German, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, but I am, I am, I met the, we've met the translator and she says it was very, accurate and easy to do uh the you know it's interesting when you write books and and again the historical books are written differently than the other books and and any reader knows that there's a difference between reading a book in the first person where you hear the voice 
of the narrator, but the narrator always has a limited viewpoint. All the narrator knows, the first person voice is what they see and right. what they hear versus an omniscient narrator who knows everything about and can tell you the story or what's called the close first person where there's an omniscient voice, but they really only crawl into the mind of one person. So right. yeah, each of our books are written a little bit differently. We find that's fun. But we also find that what our readers tell us is, you know, I, I, I finished the end of the chapter and I was going to put it down, but I figured I'd just read the next couple of pages to figure out what happened next. <laughs> and, uh, and they end up spending all night reading the book. And that's great. We are very pleased that our readers uh, love the books the way we do. Well, that's a fantastic thing. I mean, you got to love when people are telling you that, hey, I can't literally put this down because I want to know what's happening. So what is the without giving too much away, what is on, because right now the white hot plan seems like a very interesting book to me at this point that I want to try to possibly read later and put in my list. What is it that I guess really makes it stand out compared to your other two? Well, I think each, well, it's, it's like asking who's your favorite child, you know, Right. The, the favorite book we have is the one, the next one we're writing, and we're writing two. Right? <laughs> but right. well, I think what people will like about a white hot plan is is both the, the the procedural aspect, trying to uncover the mystery, and I think they're going to really like some of the characters of the book. Uh, they're going to they're going to dislike some the some of the villains. I think they're going to find that the the disgraced detective uh, Starner Gotro uh, is a charming fellow that they want to get to know more. All right. Now, the district, the disgraced detective. Is there anything about him that might be something that people, because like me, I, I enjoy characters that have flaws as much as good things about them so that they feel kind of balanced in personality. How is this character with that? Well, he's just, well, as I said, he, he, he loves the truth and loves justice. And every time he tries to tell the truth or bring justice, he's been thwarted. And so he's very down about that. And, and that's an understandable position. He's also suffered some great personal tragedy that you'll find out about the book. And there are parts of Hurricane Katrina, which, as you know, flooded three quarters of New Orleans. People died in their attics, uh, mm -hmm. drowned in their attics. And so you're going to read a little bit about that. But mostly you're going to find out about his process of uncovering the truth. At the same time, you'll be following the story, as you saw at the beginning, of the bad guy uh, and their plan. So it's a, it's a cat and mouse game. So you'll you'll see the bad guy part. You'll see what what Starner's doing, and then you'll see how he is or is not on their trail and what happens. All right. So you made a comment, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but about your favorite book is the next one you're writing. So what what are you working on right now? Is there something that people should expect from you coming out? Or is that kind of still being debated on or what so have you? So the one that's our, at our New York agent right now is called Justification. You can see an excerpt of that on our website. It said in 1915 in New Orleans, which is the last gasp of Storyville, which was the legalized brothel area of the birthplace of jazz. It was shut down in World War I by the Army and the Navy over the objections of the New Orleans mayor. 
and it was the place where jazz was played. And in 1915, the Germans were bombing ships bound for England and France, both out of the the uh, the East Coast, but as well as out of the Gulf Coast. And so this involves the lead up to World War One, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, lynchings that are going on, ethnic violence, and a young man thrown into the midst of all of this. So that's that book. And then the one we're working on right now, the next one is set in 1860 in uh, Louisiana, which is at the beginning of uh, right before the Civil War starts. And it's really a prequel to the Cotton Whiskers. Okay. So that one there will have a tie-in. So with that, how, for the historical fiction fans, how accurately is the historical fictions written to the time period and everything that's happening? Is it generally accurate or is it very accurate? It's very accurate. Uh, the, the LSU Press, which published a, Confe- uh, a Confederacy of Dunces, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning book, told us they would publish our book that's fiction only if it was historically accurate. And they retained three historians. It took six months to vet the book. So while the murder and the plantation are fictional, everything else is actually historically accurate, including some of the historical characters and the events that took place. So it, it's, a, it, it's not a travelogue, it's not a history book, but you can be assured as you read it that if, if, if something is talked about, it's historically accurate for the time, including the language, including the, the verbiage. Okay, so basically if you're bothered by how people spoke back then, is that something that they've spoken? It, uh, they spoke you're, not gonna be bothered, you're not going to be bothered by it, but you're going to be transported back into time. So. The N-word's not you, but, I mean, you're okay. being transported back into time. And, for example, a mule was called a brevet horse. And okay. That, so that's the kind of language that we, and, and you'll, you'll find out what that is uh, in the book. And, it, you know, you won't, won't have to guess. It'll, it'll become clear. <laughs> but we, right. we try to make sure that the language that they use is not modern language used in 1893. It's the 1893 way of speaking. Okay. And that was one thing I was kind of curious about because there is one a big difference in the way people said things, how, what they talked about, and the use of it. I think there's a book that I read, and the name eludes me now, where they did use the N-word, but as you listen to it, it was describing actual, like it was recorded at the end of the Civil or it was taking place at the end of the Civil War. And you knew that it wasn't, the writer didn't write it as to, to be a down putting people but also describe the environment at that time which i found interesting so so in in the cotton crest curse uh some of the key characters and protagonists are are former slaves okay and uh, the underground railroad and the the remnants of that figure strongly to the story as well okay so because louisiana i forget now if they were because i think they were kind of not purely for the slavery, or it was a very big mixed bag in that area, from what I remember. Louisiana was was a strong slave supporting state. Okay, and uh, in fact, uh, in many areas of the state, uh, slaves outnumbered everybody else in the parish. So there was uh, there was, Louisiana has a horrible system of slavery. In okay, in fact, Louisiana has uh, 
goes back to the French Code Noir, the Black Code. The very first code of laws in Louisiana was the Black Code by the French, the Code Noir. And you would think that the Code Noir would deal only with slavery, but it didn't. Uh, in fact, the very first article of the Code Noir banned all Jews from the territory. At that point, the territory was French, which ran from the Gulf Coast to Canada. All right. Second article of the Code Noir said the only religion that's allowed is the Catholic religion, and it only turned to slavery in the third article. So Louisiana has a horrible, infamous past, uh, and right. that's rarely dealt with. See, so like but, I said, my knowledge was general on that fact, and obviously it was generally wrong. Well, I, I will tell you that I think if, if any of our readers read any of the three books, the two contemporary books, which is Cashed Out and uh, A White Hot Plan, or the historical fiction, The Cotton Press Curse, they will come away, I think, intrigued by the story, enthralled by it, find it a page turner, but they'll also find that they'll be learning things about Louisiana and about people and about language and about actions that they might not have thought about. All right. Now, to me, learning something, especially while you're being entertained, is a fantastic thing. And like I said, there's been books I've written that, or not written, sorry, that I've read where you kind of really sit there and go, okay, is that real? And then you start researching it out of your own curiosity, and it finds it very entertaining at that point. What what got you to say that you wanted to write these thrillers? I mean, because it sounds like there's just a huge gap between the styles and the types. Like for me, I wrote every my first three books are all the same genre, same same characters, and a lot of people tend to go that route. Sounds like you went a completely different way. Well, my wife and I want to write something that we find interesting. Right. And so if we find a topic or a subject that we find interesting, then we research it and write about it. And for each of our books, we have planned or thought about prequels or sequels. But right now, we find interesting other things. And if somebody wants us to write a prequel or a sequel, they'll say we're writing a prequel to Cotton Press Curse. But right. what we want to do is write things that we find interesting. Why would you do something that you find rote? And there we find the research process and the writing process fast. All right, which makes perfect sense. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to hold you up all day. I very much appreciate you being here. With that, I'm going to probably pick up one of your books. I'm still debating on which one I'm going to pick up first. But with that being said, you have a website. I have the link for that. And you have your present in quite a few places, from what I understand. I have the links for all the ones that you've given me, especially where to find your books on the profile on authorblurb.com. Where do you prefer, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to do it, and where do you prefer them to go? They can go to my website, which is um, my wife and I website, which is mrubinbooks.com. They can follow me on Twitter, Michael H. Rubin. They can follow me on Facebook. Michael H. Rubin, and on the, the both Twitter and Facebook, I not only talk about books, but I talk about literature, writing, uh, and other things. So uh, I have a large following that, that likes to see what I have to do about books and writing and creativity. Well, sounds perfect. I Again, I appreciate you being here. If you can hold on for a minute, ah, can't even speak again. If you can hold on for me for just a second, this is going to be the end of our conversation for everyone else. 
but I'm going to talk to you for a little while afterwards. Great. Thank you. You can go to authorblurb.com where there's plenty of stuff there for you to find. Enjoy another author. Enjoy finding that book that you love. So take the time. Do me a favor. Share. Subscribe. Enjoy the show and tell others. Thank you. Uh,